Blog Talk Radio. Today is Sunday, August 23rd. Before we get started, here are a few reminders of several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564 or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino or follow us on Twitter at Weigh in Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin. Let's weigh in. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks, Michelle, for doing the intro. We are less than two weeks from the start of college football, and I know everyone out there is excited. I'm excited. Jonathan's excited. Trey's excited. Sonia's excited. Everybody I know is ready for the greatest sport on earth. There's nothing like it. Nobody can compare to it. And here we are in the two weeks from yesterday is the start of Saturday's college football, but two weeks from last Thursday night represents the start of college football in general. So we're ready. It's, it's been a long off season. A lot has transpired this year. The AP poll came out today. We're going to talk about that, compare it to the coaches, who's more accurate, a lot to discuss with that. What, how much do you put in preseason polls? I don't put too much, but it does matter when you're talking about these, um, the committee coming out giving the final four every week. So the higher you start, the better it is for you. But we all, we've seen it before. Mississippi State last year came out of nowhere, unranked to start the season. All of a sudden, they're number one for half the season. So if you win and you impress, you're, you're going to get moved up, especially if you're in a major Power Five conference. So if Mississippi State can do it, the Tennessee Volunteers that came in at 25 can do it, The whoever's down there, Clemson, Georgia Tech, whoever's a team that, that's right around that 25 mark usually can can get up there with a good 4 to 5-0 and o start. So people lose. That's, that's the thing about college football. You play each other, teams start to lose week by week goes on, and you just keep moving up. So, But, the first, but for the first time in history – it was unanimous, or not in history, since I think the maybe they said the I can't remember maybe the 70s or 80s, the first time that the AP poll has been unanimous with the number one team, and it's Ohio State. So I want to ask my co-host Jonathan Miklos here, you know, how many times does the AP get it get it right from start to finish? I mean, if I'm Ohio State, Jonathan, I'm a little worried right now. You're right. It is very rare that, you know, the number one team to begin the year is the number one team at the end of the day. Uh, very few times we've seen it. Uh, I mean, Florida, I think in 08, started the – no, I mean, oh, no, in 08 it was Georgia that started to get number one. I know Florida State went wire to wire in 99. And I want to say Alabama did it one of the years. They won a championship on their statement. It's just so hard to do it because as soon as you're number one from the get-go, that target on your back is so big. It becomes so hard to be able to continue week in and week out, stay healthy, and be your A game every week. 
That is so true. That's so true. And, Jonathan, which poll do you – I know I don't like the coaches' poll during the season, but which poll do you respect more preseason? Do you respect the coaches' poll or the AP poll more? It's hard for me to get behind the coaches' poll at all, especially during the year when, you know, guys like Spurrier have some assistant uh, go ahead and fill out their polls for them. Preseason, I think they have a good feel, and I think they're a good judge on that. And I think that there's some some data that shows that by a slight margin, the preseason poll tends to be more accurate. And I feel the AP poll will overhype teams at, at times just because they're trying to push a certain thing. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever that agenda, whatever it might be. You know, I think they're trying to push certain things. So I tend to respect the coaches' poll more uh, coming week one. Well, let's let's we'll talk about that in a few minutes. I think you're right on that. But there's some big news in the NFL. Fantasy owners out there, if you if you have Aaron Rodgers or or Jordy Nelson, you're impacted. But but Jonathan, Jordy Nelson possibly torn ACL out for the year. It's what it looks like. How big of a loss is this for Green Bay? Oh, that's a huge loss, and it's a real shame because I love watching him play. Jordy Nelson's an excellent wide receiver, and he's done great things up there. Uh, for him to go down, especially on meaningless preseason games, just, you know, really sting. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the receiving core steps up. You know, and Devontae Adams and Boykin are going to really have some big shoes to fill. Randall Cobb is not going to see very much one-on-one coverage this year. I, you know, I'm interested to see how that's going to affect him. Yeah, and I mean, I had the Green Bay winning the Super Bowl this year, and that's a big loss. Even though they have Eddie Lacy at running back, they do have some receivers. You just you just don't lose a receiver like Jordy Nelson and it not impact you. Because like you said, Cobb's not going to have that one-on-one coverage, that, that blanket that he had, you know, that, that, that soft coverage. He could get open in a zone and, and get some yards because everybody's worried about Jordy. This is huge. So I think it puts a lot more pressure on the running game. Eddie Lacy, I have him on my fantasy team. I just hope he's ready to run because I think if Green Bay is successful, Jonathan, Eddie Lacy had a big year. I agree with that. Eddie Lacy all of a sudden just went from somebody who we can expect to get 200, 250 carries and produce a high volume, do a really good job, you know. So now – Eddie Lacy's probably going to get close to 300 plus carries this year because you know they're going to they're going to have to feed him a lot more. They're going to run the ball in first down a lot more now, and Lacy can handle it. He's a very good running back as long as he can stay healthy. You're looking at one of the top five running backs in football, especially in fantasy football. But you, you know this is definitely a huge shakeup for the Packers. Uh, does it you know all of a sudden are they not the favorites to win the NFC? It's hard to say that because Rodgers is such a good quarterback. Lacey's such a good running back. Their offensive line is still solid. And their defense, well, it does have some weaknesses. It is still a very good and productive opportunistic defense to where I think they can still get the job done, but it's going to be a much tougher road. And it's better that it happened now than week one or two. I mean, at least they have time to to deal with this, to plan for it, to game plan, because I think your playbook changes. I mean, this is not just you you lose a player. I think the playbook changes. I think the play calling changes, of course, and that's a big adjustment period because you're going all year. You're developing a playbook. You're developing – and you have certain plays just for Jordy Nelson because you have Jordy Nelson. 
So it's like you're having to remove these plays because nobody can step up in, in that role. So it's a big adjustment not only for the players out there, but for the coaches, Jonathan. It's just – but it's good to happen now. And I, I hate preseason games because of this. This is why I hate preseason games. Injuries happen in regular season. But at least it's for something when they get injured, Jonathan. I mean, the playing players this early sometimes is just ridiculous. I mean, they already go through a 16-game schedule plus the playoffs, I mean, why four or five preseason games? I just don't get it. Uh, you know, and I, I, there, there's two sides of that story, and I understand. For a lot of the coaches, they utilize these preseason games as their own little in-depth scouting on how certain guys fit their teams. And unfortunately, certain teams play their playmakers, play their important guys a little more than we would like in these preseason games. You know, one of the great things that Tony Dungy always did with the Colts was Peyton Manning got one series, if that, every every preseason game, and that was it. Peyton, Marvin, Reggie, they didn't play too often in the preseason. So some of these coaches just need to dial it back on their starters. They can get the, the their, you know, with Jordy and Aaron and Randall and all that, they already have the timing. They already have the chemistry. So there's no need to play them, really, in the preseason. Yeah, I, I totally agree, but... You know, you do get a chance to see your rookies who's going to come in, the depth chart, but you also get to see, like, Tim Tebow. I watched him play. He looks pretty good, Jonathan. He looks like he's trimmed down. He's he's a little more faster, more patient in the pocket. I mean, Tim Tebow could be a a reason Philadelphia succeeds this year. I thought he looked good. Tell me what you think. I know you're a Florida hater and everything, but Tim Tebow looked pretty good. Tebow does look very good out there, and I agree. It does look like he's slimmed down. He lost some weight. And I think that's good for him because it does give him more speed and allows him to utilize his running ability more. Um, from the pocket, I, I like what I see. I think this is somebody who's actually a quarterback now, uh, more so than he has been. And I've been very impressed with his progression. I think he's in the perfect system right now. And if push comes to shove, I, I you know he might wind up starting meaningful games this year for the Eagles. And you know what? Tim Tebow's a winner. And that's what he's always been. It's kind of it's kind of like how Vince Young was. Vince Young was a winner. Even in his NFL career, Vince Young was a winner. People just forget about that because he's so off the deep end mentally. So with Tebow, as long as he can prove that he's a valuable part of the team and the media doesn't oversaturate him and just, you know, and just hover over him and wait on Tebow's shower watch, his adjustment period with the team will be fine. I think he'll play well. And I, 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 I got to tell you, man, I'm really impressed how he's playing. Granted, it's against, you know, backups. We haven't seen him play against opposing starters yet. So that that's definitely going to be a test. But this system is just perfect for him. It's tailor-made for him. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does, how he does it. But, you know, the Atlanta Falcons so far in the preseason, they haven't given up a point, have they? First team. Not that I've noticed. That defense is playing pretty darn well, especially for a team that, you know, everybody was kind of sitting there going, the defense is a weakness, defense is a weakness. And the defense looks pretty solid so far this preseason. Um, you know, it looks like Mike Smith, obviously, as a defensive coordinator, somehow never got through to that defense. So the new co- new coaching staff, you know, I think it's doing wonders right now because it's not like they have studs all along that defense. They have a bunch of role players, and I think they finally get them a clearly defined role. 
Yeah, we'll talk about the NFC South. I mean, looking at the NFC South, it's, I think it's going to be a competitive division. Um, one thing that we this happened since this last show, Jonathan, Kelvin Benjamin out for the season for the Panthers. Cam Newton without his number one weapon. Man, I was looking forward to watching him play this year at the Panthers, but I don't know if they can overcome this loss. Neither do I. And being a Florida State fan, I hate seeing Kelvin get hurt because we don't win a championship without him. He was, He's a great player. He did great things for us, and he looked fantastic as a rookie last year. Uh, and to see him go down hurt, to put that much more pressure on Devin Funches to go ahead and step up right away for the Panthers, and I don't know if he's ready for that. Uh, you know, it might not. You might have to wait until week nine, week ten to see Devin Funches really take over. So Carolina's going to probably struggle at the gate passing the ball, but, you know, when you have Cam Newton – you know, good things happen. I mean, that guy, he, he can play tail off. You know, so that, that's the one thing, though. That defense is going to have a lot of pressure on him. And Luke Keekley, as, as much as I love him, I don't know if him and that defense can really go ahead and carry this Panther team far enough. Yeah, you know, without Kelvin Benjamin, my Auburn Tigers would have beaten y'all by three touchdowns, man. <laughs> well, I mean, without Kelvin Benjamin – we might not, we, you know, we might, we might not have had a chance against Clemson. Um, I, you yeah, know, he's Kelvin amazing. Was, you know, and he was an amazing talent in high school. Uh, he, you know, from Pahokee, was six six two forty five around a four six forty uh, coming out of high school. I, he was, you know, going over the freshman class. I don't care who we signed. I just look at what we signed. And when we signed Kelvin, I said this kid could be something uh-huh. special because of his size and his speed. The only thing that worried me was his hands because sometimes he got lazy. And you know what? He Last year he showed that he has everything it takes to, to be a top-flight receiver in the NFL. He does. And, I mean, he, he was impressive in high school, college. I mean, to, to be a rookie in the NFL and do something, especially on a team that, that you're really their only weapon besides a tight end, that's saying something. It's not like he went to Green Bay and, and put up those numbers. He did it in Carolina, which which means a lot. Um, I, I just think I had Carolina, you know, I was back and forth between Atlanta and Carolina winning the division, but because of this injury and looking at Atlanta's defense, the coaching change, Julio Jones is a freak. Matt Ryan can get the ball to him. Uh, they're going to have a great season. I like the Atlanta Falcons in this division. I know I hate to say that. The Falcons won. Panthers maybe two or three, Saints and Panthers I think will be right in there, and then Tampa four. I know you're a Tampa fan, but you probably agree with Tampa at four and Atlanta at one, I bet. Yeah, Tampa's in for another long year. As much as I hate to say it, it won't be as long as last year. There's going to be some hope this year. We might even win six games this year, which would be huge, uh, considering we won two last year. Um, you know, it's going to come down, I'm watching the Bucks. Uh, we have a rookie left tackle named Donovan Smith out of Penn State. And when we drafted him, I said, I, I looked at it and said, who? You know, that tells you how much I knew about him. Um, and he, he's been showing up a little bit. Uh, we just lost Dotson for uh, at least a month. So we got Goss and Charles anchor on the right side now. Uh, this, this Florida State team, I think the defense is going to play good this year. But I think the offense is going to struggle at times. You know, and, and I can see a fourth-place finish once again for us, which is disappointing considering I have season tickets. Um, and, you know, Atlanta, New Orleans, I think, is falling off the defense. 
I will say that. I think they're going to fall off big time this year. I don't think Drew Brees can get it done anymore. So it came down to Atlanta and Carolina for me, and I think Atlanta, because of the Kelvin injury, is now going to win that division. But that division, as competitive as it will be, it'll be competitive because there's not one team in that division you can look at and say they're a contender. None of these teams are Super Bowl contenders, and that's why that division is going to be competitive. Yeah, it's not. I mean, your your winner last year, the Panthers, with a losing record. I mean, come on. You know, it's all about Green Bay and, and Seattle. Those are the teams, really, that have a shot. Possibly, and I know probably not in Arizona, because, you know, somebody that's relevant. I mean, there's only just a handful of teams, if that, that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. So, I mean, there's not a lot we're sitting here trying to debate who's going to be in the Super Bowl. We know that one team from that division will get into playoffs because they have to get in the playoffs. There will not be probably two teams in there. But but let's move to college because I've got something that, I mean, I've read this story, Jonathan, and I hope everybody in the chat room, welcome Lacey and Jimmy, can, can comment on this. I mean, imagine if your head coach for your team goes out, gets wasted, embarrasses himself, the school, the university, the donors, the players, not not only but Steve Sarkeesian, Jonathan, I don't know what you think about this moron, this idiot, but are you serious? I mean, could you see Nick Saban doing this? Could you see Gus Malzahn? Could you see Jimbo Fisher? Could you see Les Miles? Well, I could see Les Miles, but, you know, that's beside the point. Could you see Mark Rick, Jonathan, Steve Sarkeesian, what does this say about the Southern Cal, I mean, team? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I think of coaches who, who would do this, uh, Mike Leach comes to mind, and I don't think that's a name that anybody really wants to be in the same breath as. And I love Mike Leach, don't get me wrong. I think he's a fantastic personality. Coaching-wise, eh. Um, I, I mean, he's young as a head coach. Uh, so I get it. I kind of do. And I'm trying to figure it out. But I, I want to put this out there. When Raheem Morris was the head coach of Tampa, he would go out with his players and he, he'd get messed up. And his wife would have to come get him and drag him home. And we lost a lot under Raheem Morris. There's a fine line between being a coach and being a friend. It's like being a father in all reality. And you got to toe that line just right. And if you want to do this with some alumni players one night, that's fine. Okay, go out and have some fun. But for you to go out to an event like that and to have some of your players around, it, it sets a bad precedent. It sets a bad image. And, and he's going to have to do some real rebounding from this. I know a lot of people are doing, oh, oh this is great. He's got, you know, he's out having fun. But it, this doesn't look pretty. Not by any stretch of the imagination. That PR team has has the work cut out for them yeah. now. Well, how are you going to tell your team, your players that are 18 to 22, not to drink and make a fool of yourself? And and you see the head coach, your leader, doing it. And that's why I mentioned Saban and Malvon. They're all they're all business kind of like people. They're all about image, respect. If you've noticed them, and that would blow my mind. And, I, and you know, there's a guy named Avery Rawls. You may know him. He's defending Sarkeesian and everything. He's a big Southern Cal fan. But come on, man. Southern Cal, you know, maybe I thought they were going to have a good season until I saw this. I mean, this is the same team that the 
the athletic director comes down out of the stands to get an official's face and stuff. I mean, this is absurd. What is, I think Pat Hayden needs to go, Jonathan. I think the bottom line here is forget Sarkeesian, forget Kiffin. Let's go after Hayden because it seems like to me everything this guy does blows back in his face. I mean, he sucks as an AD. He has had a rough go at it, and he, you know, he does exact rule in Iron Fist. And when they did the whole "we're disowning Reggie Bush" thing, they lost a lot of my respect because, not for nothing, but Reggie Bush brought a lot to that university, even though he did bring them probation and whatnot. And and we all learned from since then with the release of everything that the NCAA kind of just decided to go after him, just to go after him on certain things. But Pat Hayden as an AD has really dropped the ball in numerous situations. And I just think that, you know, sooner or later the university has to hold him accountable for what for, for his lack of institutional control. And that's what it comes down to. And those are the magic words no school wants to hear. So that's what it's come down to. It's a lack of institutional control yeah. when you're going down to the sideline getting in touch with Chase, when you have Lane Kiffin running around for a little bit, and when you have your, your head coaches out there getting blasted and people are videotaping it. And it's, it's, it's a shame for such a prestigious institution <laughs> to be subject to this kind of scrutiny. That's why I'm just going to put them out of the discussion for anything this year. I mean, you got these two Nimrods, you know, together running a team. It's going to fall apart, even if it is a Pac-12. But but uh, a story I want to get to before we get into the AP and we talk about a team that's dear and dear to my heart, the Auburn Tigers, and we're going to talk about Georgia Tech as well. We'll talk about a little bit of everybody, it seems like. We're two weeks away, Jonathan. The, the fever is starting. I put the thermometer in tonight. It's, it's getting close to 100. So, you know, in a couple of weeks it could be up to about 103, 105. I may have to be hospitalized. I'm so having the withdrawals from football. But let's talk about Art Bryles and Baylor. And I, ne- I just need to know what you think. Who's telling the truth here about a, uh, that defensive player? I can't even – his name's Sam. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. Iwakachu <laughs> or whatever he's called. But who do you believe in this situation? Do you believe that Peterson actually told Art Bryles everything? Or do you think Art Bryles is telling the truth? I think Art Bryles here, and I'll tell you what I think. I think he's lying because I do think Peterson is an upstanding guy. I think he seems to be a pretty honest guy. And if he comes out and says, I told him everything in detail, I think he did. I think Art Bryles is a used car salesman, man. I think he was trying to, to get some defensive help, and it blew up in his face. Yeah, that whole situation is really sticky right now. Um because I, I've dealt with Baylor as a high school student, so I know how high their integrity code is. You know, very, you know, their, their religious beliefs, the first and forefront before they tell you anything else, look, here, here's here's what we believe in. Here's our standards. you got to meet them. Now, I, I'm leaning towards Peterson here. And, you know, Art Riles, and we all know this, so these head coaches have, you know, these institutions have PIs. So they dig into these players' lives. They know that Sam got in trouble at Boise, had a, vo- had a volatile relationship with a girlfriend, and his roommate was afraid of him. We know this. Okay, this is common knowledge now, but they knew it back then. He was trying to do a reclamation project in my eye, thinking if I bring this kid back home, 
he'll it'll be fine. He'll simmer down and da da da. That doesn't always work. They usually lead them to become more violent and more lack of control. They they become more wild because they're back home. They know people here, and for for Art Wilde to do this whole. Peterson didn't tell me anything. I knew nothing. I'm going to call you on your malarkey there, buddy. There's no way you knew nothing. And I, as a head coach, I respect him. He's an innovator of the game. But as a human being right now, I cannot respect Art Browns because he is lying to our faces. Look at us in the eye with a straight face and lying to us, knowing that we know he's lying. And that bothers me. Well, Saban got, Saban got, I mean, he got bombarded by the media about this. I mean, doing the same thing, but you know, it happened under under Saban, on Saban's watching before, but, I mean, Saban made a bad decision, and they reamed him in the media. I just don't see a lot of people reaming Art Bryles right now. I mean, the guy gets raped. I mean, he gets, he rapes a girl, and he only gets 180 days in jail. I wonder if Art Bryles will have his arms wide open when he comes out to drive him to the game. I mean, hell, I mean, Art Bryles, to me, is after watching him last year and the with the committee and everything, the way he acted, it's just you would never see any other coach that I respect probably act like he did. I know he was upset, but you you saw Gary Patterson how he reacted. Even though he probably wanted to say the same thing as Bryles did, he didn't. He conducted himself in a professional manner, went out and just donkey stomped Ole Miss and and Baylor lost. So Gary Patterson made me believe that they would have probably won the national championship last year had they been in that playoff. So this year, if it happens, they'll get the benefit of the doubt. I'm not so sure about Baylor uh, with our brows and everything he said, that weak schedule he plays. I just, I don't know. I mean, this is bad. I think he knew everything about it, Jonathan. I think Peterson did let him know all of this. Now it's flowing up and being the Christian school, like you said, being all about Christianity, brows is lying. I mean, is that the Christian thing to do is to lie? <laughs> well, I mean, that that's very debatable. That's a, That tends to be a, a, a very volatile issue when it comes to religion because whenever you get somebody like that in power, uh, i.e. Catholic Church, uh, there always tends to be some snake in the closet and they, tend to, they try to cover it up for as long as they can uh, before they decide to finally turn on the player. Now, you know, for, for this whole thing, he was on a scholarship – at Baylor, getting his degree, he, he attained his his bachelor's degree, but was never technically a part of the football team. So I'm confused as to what this university thought they could gain by having this kid on campus and him not be a part of the team. I, I'm, I'm really confused by that. You know, they, they were looking for maybe he'll be a part of the team, hopefully he'll be a part of the team. But he was never a part of the team. You know, and, and – What's more stunning is before Deadspin leaked this about three months ago, nobody heard a word about this. And Baylor wasn't trying to cover it up. Nobody asked. Nobody dug. If it's Florida State or it's Alabama or it's Auburn, and they're digging every day checking the the police blotter. At Baylor, this didn't even register on the (laughs) Richter scale until he was convicted. I mean, what does it say about the media more than anything? Yeah, it's like they, they're on a witch hunt for teams that are just very successful and they like to bring them down. And another thing is, when when should universities and coaches become liable for doing things like this? If I, if I buy a home and 
or you know, or I'm in an apartment and I bring in a vicious pit bull dog and I let it out without the leash and it goes and attacks someone, I'm liable. If I go to work and do something stupid as a manager, my company is liable for me and they could be sued. So why is it okay for college football coaches to take these kids with violent, um, you know, violent sex crimes and things like that and bring them on board? They rape another girl or they assault another student or something. Why are they not liable, Jonathan? Why can't they be sued? And, you know, that's that's something that's going on actually out in Oregon right now because Oregon had three basketball players who were convicted of a rape crime, but actually they were arrested for it. Uh, the university didn't suspend them until after they were eliminated from March Madness because having those guys obviously gives them a better advantage of winning. So they're actually facing a lawsuit um, from that young lady uh, not only is the school being sued, but also the head coach. And one yep. of the things standing behind that is the whole, you let these guys still run free around campus for an additional couple months just so they can help you win games. I, I mean, enough's enough. And I'm, I'm fully behind this. I think if, you, if you've been convicted of a violent crime, if you've been convicted of a felony, um, I, I think you've lost your chance. And if you've been convicted of a felony, you can't vote. I don't want you playing at my at my institution. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, there's no way you can say, oh, I beat my girlfriend, but it'll never happen again. No. That is something they've proven. You will repeat that action. So, I, I mean, you, you, you got to, the, the universities have to draw a line between the ethics and winning, you know, the, the morality of how we're going to win. Well, you know what? Let's win with the right guys is a better way of going about it, more, more often than not. And we see it at the, we see it at Georgia to where guys get in trouble. They kick them out. They don't want a championship, and Sam's willing to, to kill the coach. But he's doing the right thing. Just like at Miami under Randy Shannon. Randy Shannon was really doing the right thing at Miami. Guys weren't getting arrested. Guys were graduating. But they weren't competing for a championship, so he got fired. Six and six, yeah. the clean record wasn't good enough. And I think this falls back to the fans, to the media, and it falls back at, at the end on the university for letting that pressure of the fans and the media beat them into accepting guys That's who it. we know are going to be repeat offenders. That's it. The fans, you know what, at the end of the day, they don't know that girl. They don't know the guy personally, but they do know the win and loss column. They know they want to go to these games and be a part of a championship. They want to make the Final Four. They want to be talked about. On Tuesday nights when the committee comes out and they put their team up, I mean, that's just the way it is. Coaches are under a lot of pressure to win and win now. There's no, like, rebuilding time, really, for most of the major programs. You come in, you're expected to win. But I think these universities need to be liable. You know, Baylor, they hired Art Bryles. Art Bryles made a bonehead decision. The AD as well. So it got cleared by Baylor. They should be on the hook for this. I, that's just that's how you stop things. You start you start penalizing people up at the top. You start taking money away from them. You start forfeiting games. You start keeping them from the postseason. That's how you get their attention. That's how you you get these coaches to stop this stupid gamble. And it is a gamble. There's a there should be a transfer rule. If you're you're having to leave a team because of a violent you know, a violent crime, you shouldn't be able to go to another one. If you maybe go a step down, maybe you go to JUCO or 
you know, a lower FCS school, but you cannot transfer from the Big 12 to the SEC or from the SEC to the Big 10. I mean, just going around violent crime after violent crime. Nick Saban, I think he really wanted to, to help this kid. I, I really think his ego let him think he could help him, and that's okay. I, I, I think there's a time where where you want to help people and do that. You think you can, but sometimes, like you said, Jonathan, if you do it once or twice like that, it's probably going to happen again. And I just I just think these coaches need to be liable more. I mean, you know, Gus Malzahn or, or Gene Chizik, that, that year he was at Auburn, and those four guys went and did armed robbery. That's a difference. They None of those guys, from my, from my knowledge, Jonathan, had any kind of violent past or any kind of arrest record. So if you're in school, you're clean, and all of a sudden you go rob somebody, I don't think the coach should be held liable for that. That's something that – you know, but if you, you you have three rapes on your record and I bring you into my team and you rape a cheerleader, then I, I think you should be liable. I agree. I mean, and with the Chizik thing, it's a sticky situation because we don't know if, any, if either of these kids had any spotted records in high school. And I think that's where it starts. If a, I don't care if he's a five-star prospect. If he couldn't stay out of trouble in high school, he does not need to be on my team because he will repeat that behavior now that he's away from home. I fully believe that. And, yeah, you know, there, there are instances of guys turning it around and, and figuring it all out and getting everything right. But there's a lot more instances of those same guys repeating bad habits, doing the wrong things time and time again. And I think it needs to start at a recruiting level. If you're a troublemaker, go to a JUCO for two, for two years and prove me that you actually want to play football. Okay, if you get in trouble at a major university like like, like this young man did, and let, you know, or any of them, go to a JUCO and prove me you really want to play football. Prove to me, okay? Because I, I I don't know if you really want to play or if you're just here to to, to just you know play around and get yourself in trouble and see how far you can push the envelope before they kick you out because you can run a four four forty. I really don't care. Yeah, if you, yeah, you need a two year. You need style, two years. You need two years to show me that, that you can do it the right way. Two years away from home. I want two years away from home. I, I don't care. If you were in Mississippi, I don't want you going to a Jew from Mississippi. I want you going over to Kansas. Okay? I want you going to California. I need you to move away from home for two years and prove to me that you can stay out of trouble, and then we'll talk about you coming back. And that's a big problem, is that a lot of these guys, and, and this is the hardest thing about recruiting, because you try to recruit your, your area. Because you feel that gives you a best chance to win. It gives you a higher chance of signing a, a, a recruit. But a lot of these guys, they stay close to home, and they're troublemakers. Their friends don't leave. Their friends stay around. And a lot of these guys, when you're a troublemaker, you hang out in a crowd full of troublemakers. You are the company you keep. That's what, that's what it comes out the end of the line. Okay? A lot of life lessons can be learned just from high school recruiting and coaches telling the kids, sorry, you might have only gotten a misdemeanor, but three of your best friends got knocked on some felony. I can't trust you because I know who you hang out with. My mom always told me that. You know, be careful who you hang around. That's who you're going to be. If you hear, if you see me hanging around with a bunch of bank robbers, if you see me out, you probably, you know, I'm probably going to be a, a bank robber before long. I mean, bad company corrupts good morals, good standards, and that's just the way it is. Jonathan, let's get into 
before we get an AP poll, you know, we're going to talk about Auburn, but I just want to talk about Byron Coward just for a second, something funny that, you know, I think he's having a little trouble adjusting at Auburn. Jonathan, five-star, best player in the country. Um, Auburn with the the worst defense probably in the SEC, you know, how it went. He was going to come in and save Auburn football on the defensive side of the ball. And he went on a Twitter rampage a couple last night, like, poor pitiful me, you know, why are you not helping me? I'm humble, blah, blah, blah. But these kids come in out of high school. They're worshipped and adored. These coaches sell these kids to come. You know, they're best friends. You know, come on in. We love you, kid. Once you get into training camp, it's a different animal, Jonathan. This guy's having to work for a position, and he is getting his butt handed to him by grown men now, and he's having trouble adjusting. I mean, why in the world, if you're Byron Coward, do you go to Twitter and say something stupid and then delete it and say, I made a freshman mistake? Come on. Come on, Coward. You're better than that, man. What do you think about that, Jonathan? I think that was so childish. And, and you know, I thought he was mature, a little bit more mature than the other ones. But he's, he's showing me with his Twitter account, those tweets, that he's not that mature, man. Well, welcome to my generation. Uh, let me start by saying that. After me first, <laughs> everything should be handed me generation. And, and, and great, it, it grinds my gears because I wasn't raised that way, but I see people my age doing it all the time, especially now that I'm back in school. And, and I just see all over the place, you know. And I've worked hard to get back in school and to get myself where I need to be. And I, I see 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who expect everything to be handed to them, and it's frustrating. Uh, just, Just learn that. But here, here's another thing. This is why Florida State and Clemson instituted a social media ban. And people blasted them and said it was stupid and how could you do this, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, these schools, Florida State and Clemson both have had these media bans, social media bans, I want to say two, three years now in a row. Clemson just made news for it. People, I guess, just finally caught on. Uh, this is why they had those bans, though. So you don't have your Byron Coward moment. You don't have your Cardell Jones moment. And that's what it comes down to. You need to get these kids off of social media. You really do. When it comes yep. down to it, because they're going to stay and do stupid things. And it's just going to, fans are going to try and nitpick everything. They're going to try and find every last thing and, and try and embarrass these kids. You know, and, yeah. you know, and Coward should have gone to Florida State because that's, that's who really loves him. But hey, you know, who am I? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, th- this goes to show you, too, Jonathan, that these coaches, it's like the Army, you know, the Marines. They're like, those recruiters are your best friend. Now, all of a sudden, you get at the Marines, you think you're going to get special treatment. You're going to get your butt kicked. You're going to get, I mean, everything. You're just a normal peon. You're nobody. And it's hard for Coward, I think, to realize that, hey, I'm not going to walk in here and start in Auburn without earning it. Let's jump. I don't think anybody ever told him, hey, you're going to start right away. I don't think, looking at the deep, the front seven of Auburn, I don't think that was going to be it. But I think Coward thought he was going to come in and just just manhandle people, and that's not the case. But he's having to fight through adversity, and it's 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 hard. Maybe he'll this will humble him because he said in his tweet that I came in humble. Obviously, you did not come in humble or you wouldn't be on social media crying like a little girl. 
because an offensive lineman's kicking your butt every day and you just you can't deal with it. So let's bring on Quinn. He's a an Auburn Notre Dame fan and get his thoughts. He's I think Quinn's gonna back coward on this. Welcome Quinn. Yeah. Well I he was a kid that was frustrated and he wanted to get his thoughts out. I I I sent out stuff on social media and then a little bit later when I processed processed it I deleted it. It's just he had yeah, his but thoughts you're not a five star you're not a five star recruit, Quinn. You're a nobody. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, you say people shouldn't put these kids on pedestals. Then why? Then why are? Then why do you put them on a pedestal? If everyone, if everyone's the same, then why does it matter who was, who was doing what? He he's a he's an eighteen year old kid, who is still trying to figure out life. Why are you gonna hammer a kid for tweeting out something like that? I've seen a lot more positive things and positive stuff about Coward than to make a big deal out of two little tweets that he tweeted out. Hey, you know why, Quinn? You know why it's a problem? Because that's an in-house issue that he decided to put out for everybody to see. If he's got an issue yep. with how the coaches are treating him, he's got to go to the coaches and talk to them. You can't put this out in the media. That puts a that puts a target on your back, and I bet you he got his tail kicked in practice. I bet you everybody came after him. They threw him an interception just so 11 guys could hit him. I've seen it happen in the <laughs> high school level. And that's what this is. That's an in-house issue. It should be taken care of in-house and not put out for everybody to see. Muschamp issued the code red, Quinn. That's what happened. It's a, it's a code well, red. But I'm not saying you're a nobody, Quinn. Well, I mean, I'm a nobody, too. But what I tweet, nobody cares about. What you tweet, nobody cares about. What Jonathan tweet, nobody cares about. But what a... The number one people player in the country, people, people care what what people tweet in college football in the SEC. And one thing about it, you can delete it all you want, but by the time you delete it, it's already been copied, pictures made, copy-pasted everywhere. But this kid's got to be more mature than that. I know he's 18, but he's held to a higher standard because of who he is, Quinn. He's not, he's not better than we are. But he's held to a higher standard. Like I said, nobody cares about what we tweet. But like Jonathan said, if you have a problem, you don't feel like you're being treated fairly or something, go talk to the coaches about it. Work it out like a fan. And hopefully, and I'm and I'm a big coward fan, Quinn. You know that, Jonathan. You know that. I want him to learn from this. I want him to mature from this. Be more humble. The fact that he said he was humble showed me he wasn't humble. The way he acted. But I'm hoping that that he realizes just because you're the best high school player in the world doesn't mean that you're just going to come into the SEC and push these offensive linemen around. So I just think I think he's going to be okay, Quinn, but I just think what he did yeah. was stupid, and that's why I think social media needs to be banned from all for all athletes during the season, off-season, anything. If you're, if you're a scholarship player, you do not tweet. That, that's just the bottom line of Facebook. Well, the, well, the bad thing was is an Alabama fan caught it before he deleted it, and did you see that? Yeah. It's sad that they're trolling his account. Yeah, and then they were saying about, oh, how – how he's not happy at Auburn and and 
And then when he sent out that apology thing, then that same Vanna fan's like, oh, I'm sure that's what he really thought and stuff like that. And I'm just like, <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, Byron Calvert's going to be a big, big-time player at Auburn. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but I think it's hard for these guys. Again, like Jonathan said, his generation is these guys think they're told they're gods all through high school when they're kids. You're going to be a star. I mean, ESPN treated Byron Coward like he was Obama. I mean, like everything he said mattered. Well, it was I mean, like the whole Duke Williams thing or whatever it was. It sounded like it was a maturity issue. And, yeah, he's a senior. And Yeah, and he's a 20... 20- 21-year-old guy, so. Duke Williams is a punk. I mean, that's the bottom line he is. I, mean, I don't I know if he's I, a I punk. He, he's a punk. I mean, I hope he does good for Auburn and catches a lot of balls. But Duke Williams is a crybaby prima donna, and he better learn how to act like a man or he's not going to be in the first round of the NFL draft. And when he gets to the NFL, like Jonathan said, they're going to they're gonna try to hurt him and do all this stuff. You have to humble yourself, especially, look, Byron Coward, okay, I can look over that a little bit, but not Duke Williams. I mean, stay off Twitter, guy. You're supposed to be a first-round draft pick. If you're if, if you're having discipline issues and stuff, stay off Twitter. Don't, don't talk about it. It's an in-house thing. You don't come on Twitter and blast your coaches, your teammates, anything. And, and I, I don't, I'm just tired of the generation, Quinn. Your generation, sometimes it's frustrating me. Jonathan just said it too. It's just, man, when, when, if I was a player back then and I said something, my coach would have physically taken me to the side and punched me in the face. I mean, it, that's how Well, I know how frustrating changed. it is. My sister, my 25-year-old sister goes to, goes to social media to tweet out her issues. So... I know exactly how frustrating it is. My 25-year-old sister goes to social media instead of handling any other way. 25-year-old, I mean, I mean, you know, but you know that's her way of doing it and she's not going to the NFL next year. You know, nobody no, really what cares I'm about what she's frustrating. Oh yeah. But, but I'm telling you, nobody wants to keep their own business to themselves anymore. Everybody's problem. Your problem becomes everybody's problem. Everybody wants to put it I'm, out. I want there. you to go look at my. I want you to go look at my Facebook post. Go look at my tweets. I don't tweet. Look at my Facebook. You either see a a, a post about a football game, a, a sports talk show, or a dog. Or your dog. That I love. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't talk about my private life. I don't talk about my sex life. I don't talk about Jonathan's sex life, which I don't know about anyway. But, you know, I don't talk about other people. <laughs> and uh, I don't care I about other people. I hope you wouldn't talk people. about it. We've got some issues there. Honestly. And you know what? Another thing while I'm on a rant. I don't care what you eat. So quit pictures on Facebook of what you eat for dinner. I don't care what you eat. You know, I mean, I just want to throw that out there to people. Mind your own business. <laughs> Stay in your own lane in life, and and you'll go far. I could. I mean, these people. I don't care. Your little baby's too now and as ugly as hell. I don't care. You know. I mean, just keep your pictures. Go to Instagram if you want to do that. I don't even go to Facebook anymore because it's just. God, it's just it's just so annoying. But yeah, Quinn, you're right. You don't go to Twitter and air out your laundry. These players are going to have to learn it. And I think with Auburn's trouble with Twitter. Now that Coward's done this, Duke Williams, 
Well, I don't know if he's really, done anything on Twitter. I'm just talking about. He has. He did last year. He did it during the bowl season. Oh, yeah. When he got oh, yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He did but it, I'm man. just saying, let's let's shut it down. Let's just, if you're Gus Malzahn, let's just shut it down. But, you know, that could hurt recruiting. It really could. Like Jonathan, you know, if it's not a the favorite thing to do, these guys want to do what they want to do. The world's changing, and, and I guess we're just going to have to deal with it. But I don't feel sorry for Coward for going out to practice and having to earn his position. I'm sorry. He's going to have to earn it. Of course he's going to get some playing time. I'm sure he was guaranteed a little playing time. and But he's going to be great. Look at him, Jonathan. Have you seen Byron Coward? He looks like a 25-year-old man chiseled. He's going to get his playing time. He just needs to shut up and go out there and play. Well, I mean, you got to remember, he's a local boy to me. So I, I've seen him in person. I mean, yeah, he's he's grown. I mean, that that, that that's man, it was a man shot in high school, and you know, it doesn't hurt. You know, who he's got some good family genes running there. Um, I mean, Byron's a good ball player. He needs to get past this issue and move on in his life. But you know, I think Auburn needs to go ahead and do the social media ban, and you know, he's put to hurt recruiting. Didn't really hurt Florida State, now did it? Doesn't really hurt Clemson, <laughs> has it? I mean, I'm just saying, everybody goes, oh, well, it's going to hurt recruiting. Florida State would beg the difference. Top five class every year that we've had a social media ban. Clemson would beg the difference. Their recruiting class are getting better. You know, what it does is it holds your kids accountable, and you know who you're getting. And somebody, you know, I can't remember who the coach was. I want to say it was, it was Brent Bielema, who said, I will look at your Twitter account, and I will red flag you if I don't like what I see. And I agree yep. with that. Who you are on social media, even if you're trying to put out a persona, that right there tells me a lot about your character and man. And I don't know if I want you around my program if you're out there and and you're busy posting up pictures of thug life and and, and talking about how you and your boys did some illegal activities. I don't want you on my team. If you're out there in your business to everybody and their mother, I don't want you on my team. And if you, you're out there looking for a job and you think that, that you can post anything on Facebook and Twitter, guess what? Human resource people, recruiters, they're all looking. They're all looking at who you are. And that's really who you are is who you are on Facebook. That's bottom line. I'm sorry. You use a lot of profanity. You post nudity. You post, you know, racist things, just politically incorrect things. They're not going to hire you because guess what? You're a risk. You're a risk to them. People don't realize that. I just go to people's Facebook and I see profanity all the time and I just delete them, you know, because I don't want anybody associating that with me. If if I cuss or something that's, you know, you're not going to be able to to copy and paste that, Jonathan, and put it into a a news feed or something. So, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just keep everything out of writing. That's the key. Well, why do you think these people want contracts? They want them signed. They want it in writing because you can't get rid of writing, really. I mean, it's it's there. It's binding. Verbal's nothing. So just keep things verbal. Keep it talking. I'm sorry we got off football a little bit, but that's life, though. That's what we have to do. But before we get into the Auburn Tigers season right here, let's look at the AP Top 25. Quinn, you're still there, right? Yeah. All right. Stay with us right here. We'll start. I mean, I, I don't want to. Tennessee comes in at number 25, but, and I see that at both polls, really. I think Tennessee is not overhyped, guys. I think people are putting them in there because they believe in Tennessee this year. I think they look at the East and know they can win it. I think a lot of people think that Tennessee can actually do a lot better than that. And I I think 25, to me, is a scary ranking 
if you're out there looking at a team that that's capable like Tennessee is, Jonathan, 25 Tennessee to me, I think they could be a top 10 team before the season's up. You see, that's a good spot for them, being that, I mean, they went, they won, what, seven, eight games last year? So it's not like they won 12, you know, 10 games last year. Well, you know, they were shooting for a top 15. We're projecting Tennessee to be good this year. That's what we're doing. We're projecting them. So 25 is a good ranking for them because it shows that we feel there's enough there for them to be a very talented team, and we project them to do better, but we're not going to overrank them and sink them right off the bat. Yep, exactly. And that that's scary, too, because I remember Auburn about that a, a few years ago came in at, like, number 22 or something and won a championship. It's, it's the, People, like you said, they don't want to overhype them. They think they're going to be better. They have all the tools to be better. But you don't want to be that guy that puts Tennessee number eight and they go six and six, you know. And that, I think that's where people are afraid. But I trust in Butch Jones and everything and what he's been able to do there recruiting-wise. They're going to be good. Um, a team I think that's overrated a little bit in the AP. I, I look at Michigan State just a little bit. I think I don't think they should be ahead of Auburn, honestly. Uh, USD at number eight and Oregon at seven, Jonathan. I just Oregon and USC to me, especially Oregon. Nah, I'm not buying that ranking. You see, and I'm seeing Oregon ranked all over the place. A lot of people have them being in the playoffs this year, and it's just very hard for me to get behind the team. And trust me, I know this from experience right now, behind the team that you don't know who their coach is going to – I mean, who their quarterback is going to be at the end of the day. I don't know who their single caller is going to be. And that makes you nervous about Oregon. USC is – we know who their quarterback is going to be, but, I mean, what has USC done lately? And that's the thing you got to look at. USC has a – you know, we, we, everybody keeps projecting them to do well. Well, stop ranking them in the top ten, and let's see where they go from there at the end of the day with USC. Yeah. Because every year it's, look, oh, number two recruiting class. Oh, my God, USC is on the way back. we got to put it on the field first, folks. Yeah, do it on the field. And Notre Dame at 11, Quinn, I mean, what are you thinking about the Irish right there? What is that telling you? Uh, right, right behind Florida uh, State. I think actually, I think that's about. I think that's about right. Maybe a little. Maybe if I was to put them, I'd put them more around fifteen-ish, like fifteen. But I could see that about right. Yeah. The big thing with Notre Dame will just be staying healthy. I mean, they've already had two guys go down with uh, season-ending injuries in this fall camp, so. <laughs> Well, you see, the AP is always going to overvalue Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame. I don't see Michigan ranked, but I'm sure they're probably getting some votes. Yeah, they are getting votes, for God's sake. Really, Michigan's getting votes. Florida's even getting votes right now for the top 25. Who in the world would would vote Florida as a top 25 team right now? Really? I mean, I mean, who is that? Uh, well, what's the guy's name? Um uh, the guy on Facebook, Jonathan, I'm talking about. This Joey Vizzy, is he the one doing the rankings? Because I, I don't know um, yeah, who and in it's the world. Between gonna... him and uh, Neil, who runs in all kinds of weather. Because Neil, <laughs> who runs in all kinds of weather, and if, if you're on Twitter, you know who I'm talking about. 
Hey, Kelly, Florida's going to win the national championship this year, ever. Yeah, they're going to win every game. That four and eight year, the refs completely sandbagged him with this conspiracy and yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know what? If you're an AP voter and you were, and you decided to get Florida and Michigan or either one of both for the top 25, I should have a right to come and take your vote away. I really should. Thank you. That's absolutely ridiculous. Thank you. Thank you. We're Man, taking I, it away. I could, but... buy Michi- I could buy Michigan getting a vote more than Florida. <laughs> yeah, at least they're in the Big Ten. And they're, and yeah, Florida, I, could, I could too. I could too. Well, let's look. Eight teams from the SEC ranked in here. and Let's let's go outside of it a little bit. The next receiving votes, Mississippi State at 26, A&M at 27. We have Florida in there. Like I said, should not be um, – I mean, but you see the SEC. There's 11 teams right there that are that are or 10. I'd say 10, not 11, that are borderline right there that could could be. Maybe that's a little, you know, too many. I don't know, but I think A and M's probably going to be better than than what people are thinking, Jonathan. Especially if Chavis can turn it around there, they can score points. Mississippi State, where they are, I just don't think they're going to be that good, but they could be. But Texas A&M's a team to watch out for that I would say out of the teams not ranked in the AP Top 25. Virginia Tech up there, close about 30, somewhere around in there. Better watch out, Ohio State. Utah is a team that Jonathan, I think, should be ranked a little higher. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Utah deserves some respect. They don't They don't get much. I don't know why. Um I, I, I'm I'm really having a hard time understanding how Utah is in the same breath as Florida and Michigan, considering Utah would beat both of those teams. It doesn't matter where the game's being played. Well, Utah play Michigan week one. Yeah, Utah's going to crush them. Slaughter! So take it to the bank, guys. Lay the points and run to the bank. Wait for it to open that morning. Sit there with a smile on your face and get your cash. That's all I can tell you. Louisville's getting some love with a few votes, 12 votes, but I think those votes are going to go away after week one, Jonathan, when uh, when that leads us into our discussion about the Auburn Tigers this year. Open up with Louisville. you got an Auburn team that, you know, I, I, I don't judge a team by a bowl game sometimes, teams like Auburn, but I do look at the last game of the season. How did they look? against the Alabama Crimson Tide. They had a chance to to cash in after losing to Georgia. You know, they lost to A&M. The season's over. They came to Alabama. I know it was 55 to 44, but these guys put up about 650 yards against Bama. Nick Marshall threw for about 460. I mean, these guys competed on the road at Alabama like that uh, after the schedule they had. The Wisconsin game was – you can't really put too much stock in the games like that where nobody really cares and both teams are very disappointed. But looking at Auburn, the the moment that, that got my attention was when Will Muschamp was announced as the defensive coordinator. When that happened, I really started feeling good about this season, the upcoming season. He's the kind of coach – you saw Malzahn take a 3-9 and nine the next year with the same players and win a – play for a national championship. He didn't win it. Jonathan Seminoles beat him in the last second right there. But that's how much of an impact a good coach can make. Will Muschamp, Jonathan, he inherits a lot of upperclassmen. The linebacking core is solid. The front seven is solid. And I'm hearing the secondary is getting a lot better and deeper. I mean, 
to me, because of Will Muschamp, Auburn is the contender this year. Without him, I don't know if I can say that right now. Let me just say this about that Auburn-Alabama game. Gus Malzahn better figure out a red zone offense. That, that was a joke. That was a joke. Yeah, five, five Auburn, goals. Auburn should have hung 70 on Bama that night. And they came away with 44 because they had to keep kicking field goals. It was, it was, it was, it was ugly. Um, but you're right. That offense went right to that defense. And that should have let us know that Ohio State was going to do some work on Bama. But nobody really considered that to be anything. Uh, you know, Mus Champ is a huge hire. He's an excellent defensive coordinator. Uh, it's amazing how Texas start fell off after he left for Florida, and I think there's a direct correlation there whether anybody in Texas wants to admit it or not. You know, and I, I, he's going to do some good things with that defense, and Auburn just needs that defense to be average. That defense was bad last yeah. year. They need that defense to be average, and they're a national championship contender all the way. I mean, that's average, and, and I think this team has a, a good chance to be good on defense, above average, I would say. Casanova, McKenzie, and Chris Frost both both decided to come back their senior year and play for him. So we're solid at linebacker with a Trey Williams guy that was a five-star coming out. Justin Garrett is the guy on, everybody in, on the show. Jeffrey Hold Hall. on, Quinn. Hold on just a second, Quinn. Justin Garrett is a player everybody needs to take note of this year. This is his year. I think he's finally injury-free and ready to be a freak. Jeffrey Holland is a is going to be a good chance to be a good outside linebacker. I really like that guy, Quinn. I'll let you talk about him in just a second. But the linebackers in the front seven, Jonathan, Carl Lawson coming in at the butt position, Montrevious Adams, I mean, these guys, are good. Jonathan Jones, the leading interception guy coming back. Holsey's there. Trey Matthews, the transfer from Georgia that sat out. You have Jonathan Ford, Nick Ruffin. I mean, Tim Irvin, Carlton Davis, the freshman. Jonathan, I mean, the names I'm naming, I'm telling you, this Auburn defense has a chance to be something special, especially with a coach like Will Muschamp that, that, that is, is a perfectionist. You have to do it his way with the intensity. Could the defense outshine the offense I mean, I mean, not really, but could they be a talking point this year? Well, the defense is going to be a talking point no matter what because of um, how bad it was last year. People are going to look at it and say, you know, or automatically going to look at it and do the whole, well, if the defense, is, if they, you know, they come out and they come slow and Louisville lights them up for some points, they're going to go, oh, great, it's the same Auburn defense. They come out and they shut Louisville down, which they should. I mean, Louisville's got four quarterbacks. They they can't they can't even whittle that down to three. They have four, so I mean they should come out and just that defense should just have a field day with whatever Louisville is going to try and throw at them. Um, you know and that that's where it's going to come down. There's a lot of talent there, you know, especially in the secondary. There's, there's definitely talent. Auburn always finds a way to get a couple good corners every year. Uh, and you're right, that front seven is going to be nasty. That front seven is going to be real nasty, and you have to you know they're going to be able to get after some teams, get after some quarterbacks. Hey, this could be a good year for Auburn's defense if it all comes together like it should and they're the perfect storm. Oh, my good golly gracious. Watch out, folks. This Auburn uh-huh. team could all could be really scary because you know the offense is going to be good. We already know that. Yeah. doesn't matter who plays quarterback. Nick Marshall plays quarterback. He's a quarterback. I mean, come on. Yeah. And Jeremy Johnson is your quarterback. Quinn, give me somebody on that defense. I think you said Jeff Holland. Give me somebody on that defense you're looking for to make a huge impact early on. 
I think it could be Jeffrey Allen. Uh, I've been hearing some great things out of him. Okay. A freshman linebacker starting in the SEC. What what makes you think that he could play more than – I don't know if he'll be starting, but I think he could – I think when he is playing, I think he could make a big impact, but it's sounding like he might be starting. Yeah. Must champ and Malzahn has said they're not going to be scared to start freshmen. Well, I'm going to tell you Malzahn this. Malzahn has even said that on both sides of the ball they're going to have some freshmen starting. So. Yeah. Um, the kid that transferred from Michigan, for some reason, I don't know why his name's slipping my mind. He's a – he Yes, thank you. Countess has started for Michigan all those years. That's a huge immediate help to the secondary. He gives he gives these younger guys somebody to look up to that does it the right way. But I'm telling you what, T. Rob and Muschamp, when they handpick freshmen like Carlton Davis, Tim Irvin, trust me, they're not looking to sit them. I mean, Muschamp played freshmen all the time at Florida. He didn't, and they performed so. I think T-Rob and Muschamp are a great combination to be able to develop these guys. T-Rob yeah. gets out there and plays with them. He shows them how to do it. He doesn't have to tell them how to do it. He actually gets on the field and shows them how to do it. The Auburn defense, I think, will be a lot better this year just because of Muschamp. These linebackers looked out of position last year. I think it was just because of Ellis Johnson. and I just think it was just – you know, you need a coach like Muschamp. If you want to have a tough defense, you have to have a tough defensive coordinator. And I mean, Saban to me is a defensive coordinator for Alabama. It's not Kirby Smart, but Saban doesn't doesn't put up with anything. And I think that's the same way with Muschamp. But let's flip over to the offensive side of the ball. Jeremy Johnson, you know, he he's played in games. You know, both years he's been there. He played started the Arkansas game last year, threw for 300 in the first half, a couple of touchdowns. This guy's a 75% passer, and that's one thing that, that Marshall wasn't. Marshall was around 50, 55, but, but Jonathan, you have weapons like Jeremy Johnson. He can run. He can throw. He's very accurate. You look at the running backs, the offensive line, this offense, this could be the year of explosion for Auburn in the SEC and offense. Definitely. I mean, Jeremy Johnson's probably the best quarterback, Cam Newton, and as a pure pocket passer, I think Johnson might even be more polished already in that aspect of it compared to where Cam was uh, in yeah. his year at Auburn. And, and that's going to be big. It's going to be huge for Malzahn because Malzahn, not only has Johnson been there already two years, so he knows his playbook inside and out. So Malzahn doesn't have to dumb it down. There's another baby him. Just here's the playbook. It's wide open. Let's run it. Let's go. And this is what's going to – it's going to be fun. It's going to be a very up-tempo offense. People thought Oregon was fast. Hey, you ain't seen fast. Auburn's going to be fast. I know. They are. And and you're right about dumbing it down a little bit. Not that they're dumb players, but it takes a a while to learn this playbook. And when when Cam came in, he came in kind of late. He had to learn the playbook, so they kind of slowed it, just worked it to his strengths and opened it up as the season went on. When Nick Marshall came in, they had to – to kind of slow it down a little bit and not call as many plays, but Gus Malzahn has said that this is the first year at Auburn since he's been there that they've been able to run the entire playbook, which, my God, I mean, it's scary to think how many plays that he hasn't shown anybody because, you know, it's just hard. But Jeremy Johnson is a cool, calm, collected customer just like Nick Marshall. 
And I think that's what Auburn needs. Duke Williams being there on the field is huge. Rock Thomas, the running back, just somebody phenomenal. You've got to watch Javon Robinson, the JUCO player, you know, the number one running back coming out of JUCO. And you have Peyton Barber, a running back, that could get some serious playing time. Jonathan, he has the running backs. He has the receivers. You look at that offensive line. Yeah, you got some great receivers. The offensive line is – I do have some questions with Sean Coleman. He got abused last year like a redheaded stepchild against A&M. I remember that. But maybe that helped him a little bit. If you if you all don't remember Sean Coleman, he's the he's the kid that beat leukemia. And he, the fact that he's playing football, Jonathan, is, is saying a lot. It really is. It's great to see him playing ball, uh, especially contributing at, at a program like Auburn at a high level. It's, it's phenomenal to see that. And he's definitely a big part of the line. I mean, if he gets beat up, you know, it's going to be hard. You you can't you can't have one week link on the line and expect to be competitive anymore. It's very tough. This offense is going to be explosive. I mean, 35, yeah. 40 points a game, is that out of the, the realm? I, you know, I, they're going to beat 50. some teams 63-14. Yeah, I'm going to say 50 a game. That's what I'm I'm really – I'm not kidding when I say that. And And here's another thing, Jonathan, that people don't realize. Daniel Carlson was the punter and the kicker last year, which you know is – as a kicker, it's mental, too. You have to be mentally in there. Imagine how tired that guy was, just having to know he had to punt, had to kick, and do it all. But Malzahn said that Carlson, he feels good from anything within 60. 60 and in, he feels very confident that he'll nail it through. But how big is that that Carlson doesn't have to do the punting now? That's huge. Like, I mean, that, we, we tried that with Graham Gano at Florida State, and it turned out to be sort of troublesome. That's why we wind up moving him down to full-time kicker, full-time punter for most games. And and when you tell, when you put it out there, hey, 60 yards and in, my kicker's got this. Your kicker mentally is sitting there going, my coach trusts me. I need to trust myself. I trust myself. I want to make these kicks. I want to be, I want to be great. I mean, we see that at Florida State with Roberto Aguayo, who's one of the best kickers. I mean, honestly, he is the best kicker in college football. And I'd love for somebody to try and argue that. Because nobody's been as consistent and as accurate as him in a long time. And Aguayo is a confidence thing. He knows he's good. And when your kicker knows he's good, that's when your kicker makes big-time kicks. That's when he's not worried about going out there and nailing a 57-yarder for the win. And that's what you need. People always forget about the poor little kicker. Kickers are so important in football, (laughs) and they win so many games. People, love your kickers. Love them. If you're Alabama, you've learned to love – you have to love your kickers, you know – you, you think about that Iron you really Bowl, Jonathan. You hmm? think about that Iron Bowl two years ago. If Alabama had a kicker, Auburn wouldn't have had a chance in that game. I mean, the fact that oh, the yeah. kicker couldn't kick a field goal, I mean, you know, gave Auburn chances to win. Look at the Florida State-Miami rivalry. How many missed field goals? Florida State's finally like, you know what, I'm going to get a kicker, and I'm going to have the best kicker in the country, and they're getting that. Well, let's go through real quick this schedule. Uh, it's getting late. I need to run by 9.30, so let's get into this schedule, guys. Quinn, Jonathan, Louisville opening up at the Georgia Dome. And one thing that I'm going to tell people about this game is I've watched Auburn play Auburn fast on turf. I've watched them play on grass. And this offense is a, a different animal when you put them in this dome, Jonathan. And this is what I think people are forgetting. Auburn's an 11 
so point favorite in this game on a neutral side. They'd be about a 17 point favorite, 18 point favorite at home. I think Auburn has a chance to put up a lot of points on Louisville in this game. Louisville had a great defense last year, but they lost two main pieces from that defense. The biggest one is going to be Gerard Holloman in the secondary. He had, what, 14, 15 interceptions last year. Auburn, and I, I don't have anything against Louisville. Auburn's going to drop 50 on them. Easy. It's going to be 50 plus points. Lay the points. All day, lay those points. Yeah, I mean, I just look at the speed. I mean, John, Quinn, you know, I was at the Auburn Missouri game uh, in the SEC championship game. I was at the Auburn South Carolina game in the SEC championship game. It's just different yeah. with the speed. Have you seen the speed in the dome? Have you caught that? Has, has that caught your eye how faster they are on, in that turf than they are on grass? Yeah, well, yeah, just naturally, almost every team is just because of the way turf is, yeah. Yeah. All right, it's just exciting to watch. And one thing I'm going to tell you that's going to get Louisville in trouble is the deep ball. I think Jeremy Johnson is – and it's not just going to be Duke Williams. He's going to have some catches and everything. But look for Melvin Ray. Look for someone like Melvin Ray, Ricardo Lewis, even Jason Smith, Marcus Davis, Tony Stevens, some of these guys that have huge days because Jeremy Johnson, he can hit it all over the field. He can make every pass possible if the offensive line gives him protection. And and what Auburn's going to do, they're going to throw the ball, Jonathan. They're going to start throwing it around a little bit to to spread the defense out. And then they're going to start running the ball and wearing Louisville down. Louisville's going to have a decent season this year. But I just think it's a bad time to catch Auburn right now because I think Auburn will be in midseason form early in the season. You watched them play Arkansas last year. That team put up a lot of yards and points our first game of the season against a pretty good Arkansas defense. Now it's a neutral site, no weather, no heat. I just think I'm going to go with Auburn in this game. Jonathan did. Quinn, are you going to pick Auburn to beat Louisville? Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. I have a more by like State. 10 to 14 points. Okay. I'm with I'm, I'm Jonathan in this one. I'm saying just it's going, it's, it could get ugly in this one. I hope I'm right. I could be wrong. The next week, Jacksonville State comes into Jordan-Hare. People get a chance to see that big scoreboard. I think Jacksonville State's going to be watching that scoreboard more than the field. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Auburn pretty big in that one. I'm sure y'all agree. Yeah. But that sets up uh, – yeah. An early early day game at Baton Rouge, Jonathan. And, you know, looking at the quarterback situation at LSU, how much better are they from last year to this year? The fact that that's a day game, I think it really benefits Auburn. Yeah, Auburn's going to slay the, gonna slay the uh, I was going to say Dragon, but I guess it's more fitting to say the Tiger. They're going to slay Mike the Tiger. I, I don't even think that game's going to be close. I think it's going to be another uh, – you know, skull drug. Um, I just have no faith in LSU as a team to be competitive with a top-flight team this year. Just yeah. I just don't trust yeah. them. Their defense won't do enough, and their offense can't put up enough points. There you go. Jonathan, we're on the same page. Quinn? Uh, I, think, I think they pull it out, but game a game kind of makes me nervous just because Auburn hasn't won yeah. that route in such a long time. I agree. I agree that too. I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, but but this is about the same LSU team. This is about the same LSU team that has top two recruiting classes. This is 
this is an LSU team that has less miles to coach that's probably going to lose them a few games. And I, I really think that that early in the season you get LSU, the better. I just don't trust their quarterback. And like Jonathan said, they're not going to be able to put up enough points on Auburn to stay in that game. Auburn put, I think, 50 on them last year almost and beat them by 40 points. I just don't think LSU got that much better from last year to this year, and I think Auburn has gotten better, which the next week is a home game at least. Mississippi State comes in, Jonathan, and I think this is the perfect time. Mississippi State lost a lot of defensive players, um, lost the receivers. I just don't think they have enough to, to keep pace with Auburn. And remember, this is a revenge game for Auburn right here. This is a revenge game. They got screwed by the officials last year. And Starkville, they lost. And I'm not taking anything away from Mississippi State, but I think this game's circled. Yeah, uh, Prescott's going to try and make this one fun, but only he can only do so much by himself. Uh, I look for Auburn to double up Mississippi State, whether it's like 48-24, 42-21, something like that. Quinn? Yeah, I think I think Auburn wins by a couple touchdowns. I like that. I, I'm with Jonathan, too. I think it's – I think Auburn does what they want to. I think because Dan Mullen's the great coach he is, he's going to create some things and he's going to give them a chance. Auburn and Mississippi State is always a tough game. That's just it's just like Arkansas. It's just always a tough game usually. And here's a kind of a bye week or no San Jose State's at home. That's the that's the day we closed on our house, guys. The second, so I'll be moving that that Saturday, so I won't really miss much. That's why we closed then. I'm not closing when we play Mississippi State. You know, we had to make it around it. But it, Auburn after San Jose State, they get kind of a bye week, a chance to catch their breath. But it's not a full to a bye week because they're going to play on a Thursday night, Jonathan. Going to Kentucky, they got a chance to, to game plan. I think that game's tricky. I think Kentucky early – on maybe leading the first quarter or something, but I think Auburn takes over and wins it probably by 10 or 14 points. But it's a road game on Thursday night. You never can take those for granted. Exactly. Thursday night road games are always going to be tricky. It's always going to give you a hard time. Uh, luckily, they had the bye week beforehand. to have that extra week to prepare for it and be ready, be fresh. Um, like I said, I think Kentucky's going to hang around for at least the first half, maybe even the first three quarters. Auburn's going to go ahead and pull one in the fourth quarter. Quinn, what do you think, my friend? I agree. Quinn agrees. Quinn agrees. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Arkansas. Now, here's another thing, Quinn. Arkansas, you know, after the Kentucky game, it's a Thursday night. Auburn gets an extra two days, really, to prepare for Arkansas. So this schedule kind of really works out for them, in my opinion. They got a chance to prepare for a tricky road game in Kentucky. Now they have another two days to prepare for Arkansas. And without Williams, I know you said it, was, it wasn't it was really a, a big loss. He's out for the season the way it's looking. That's a weapon that I was worried about when I was looking at this Arkansas yeah. game. It's, all, yeah, it's always that, tricky. But I think Auburn gets this one done, man. I just think too yeah. much offense, not enough quarterback for Arkansas. Yeah, that helps Auburn having him out. Jonathan? Uh, it'll be a tough game. Arkansas is going to try and run the ball down their throats. Um, and, and we know Bilma knows how to get the best out of his defense. I think this is the list will be one of the few games where maybe Auburn gets held under 40 points because Arkansas is going to slow it down and eat up yeah. a lot of clock. But, like, you know, a 38-21 to 21 scoreboard sounds about right. Tigers keep rolling. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, Arkansas could beat Auburn. I mean, Auburn's not unbeatable. You know, you lose the game on the road, you win the rest of them, you can make it. But I just don't think this is a game they're going to lose. Remember, Malzahn's from Arkansas. If any game he takes more serious probably than the Iron Bowl, it's Arkansas. So he's going to have his troops ready for that game. It's just very personal to him. All right, the next week they come back after two road games in the SEC. They come back on Halloween and host, host Ole Miss. Um, Jonathan, this is a tricky game, but because this is in Auburn, I really like Auburn's chance. I do as well. Uh, Ole Miss, we'll be able to really see what they are by then and how a new, you know, Chad Tillian at quarterback could really, you know, could get benefit over uh, what they had on Bo Wallace. But, I, I mean, Halloween will probably be a night game knowing ESPN. Halloween night at Jordan Hare. Yeah, good, good luck trying to win that game. Good luck. Auburn <laughs> rolls. Well, remember, remember, this is a revenge game for Ole Miss. Auburn destroyed their season last year, broke their quarter, broke their best receiver's leg, and just just broke their heart. So, Quinn, who do you like in this game? Auburn. I think Auburn wins by like a touchdown. Okay. Well, now November's tough. I mean, November, I mean October's tough too. But November at A and M, November seventh. You know, A&M, one thing that I like our chances about in that game is Texas A&M can't run the football very well. And I think by November, Auburn will have built some depth at corner, and this is a, where they're going to need it now. A&M throws it out, they air it out. But Jonathan, I mean, I don't think A&M, even with Chavis, I don't think one year he's going to change that that entire defense. I don't think he had the pieces in place. I think Auburn, I think this is going to be like a – uh, a 52 to 48 kind of game, possibly a shootout. Yeah, I could yeah. see this one being a shootout. I really could. I think Auburn's going to uh, going to put up around 55, 56 points. A and M will put up around 40, 42. It's just Auburn's defense is going to get those uh, those stops that A and M's defense won't be able to get. Yep, exactly. Yeah, Remember, this is a revenge game for Auburn. A and M knocked them out of the uh, the top three, and they just kind of ruined their season. I think this year, two years ago, they went in and beat Johnny Manziel. I see no reason why they can win. I don't think A&M's home field advantage is as big as it used to be here in the SEC. Uh, Georgia comes into town next week, Jonathan. A home game, Georgia Bulldogs, Auburn, the oldest rivalry in the SEC. I mean, it's, yep, it's a tough one. Game. Yeah, I will too. And I think, Jonathan, I think this is a game where – Quarterback play matters a lot, and being at home with everything on the line, Auburn possibly being undefeated, I think Georgia gets skull drug in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Georgia will have something figured out at quarterback by then. I have faith in that. Uh, Mark Brick's too good an offensive coordinator uh, to, to not. Um, but that being as it is, they're going to probably be worn down pretty good at running back. Their defense – I mean, Pruitt's done, done a good job up there, but I don't know if it's going to be able to hang. And I think Auburn just takes this game more seriously than they do most games. You know, I, I'm thinking Auburn really goes out there and makes a statement saying, hey, no, 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 really, we are a national championship team. Yeah, and Bobo being gone hurts. I'm telling you all, yeah. I know you like Schottenheimer, but I think Bobo – is an offensive coordinator that just was so good with Georgia, what he did. I know he made some bonehead plays sometimes, but he had it figured out. 
Schottenheimer coming from the NFL to the SEC is a different game. It's a different type of game. I think Georgia could struggle on offense this year. I think Chubb could struggle this year. I just I think the defense is going to be improved. I do, but I don't think the offense is going to be as good. And you know they're going to have injuries all over the field at Georgia wide receiver. Every receiver is going to be hurt. They're going to be down with a cowboy probably by the time they play Auburn. Quinn, who do you like in this game? I think Auburn wins by 16 or 17 points. Ooh, confidence. Well, Idaho, we're going to move past them. If Auburn's 11-0, and then we all look like we all have Auburn 11-0 and right now. In the Iron Bowl, a home game. I think, honestly, Alabama may have a couple of losses by this point. And I just don't see Auburn letting them come into their house and beat them. Because if Nick Marshall throws for 450 on you, what do you think Jeremy Johnson is going to do, Quinn? Well, if that Bama secondary isn't improved, Jeremy Johnson can throw for 600 hours. <laughs> And you, you heard Malzahn's statements, Jonathan, didn't you? He said we should have put 60 up on Alabama, and he's right. You know, five field goals, I mean, instead of touchdowns right there in, inside the 10, I mean, they should have put up 60 in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Alabama's secondary isn't improved by then. Bama's going to be in some big trouble. Oh, yeah, and I agree. Uh, you know what? So I look, I look at this game. Like, I I try to look at Michigan-Ohio State and Florida-Florida State, Florida State-Miami, games like that, where uh, Florida-Georgia was a perfect example of this last year, where you throw the records out. Nothing matters. Both teams can be 0-11. Both teams can be 11-0. Game comes down to who wants it more in the field. Who cares more that day? And this year, I think Auburn's going to come out with that bitter taste of last year's defeat, and they're going to be highly emotional, especially with being at home, especially when I take a chance to go 12-0. and 0. And they're going to come out, and they're going to punch them in the mouth early. And they're going to hit them again. They're going to hit them again. Bama's going to fight, Bama's going to fight back. Bama's about to quit. They're going to roll over and die. That's not how they but operate. I think Auburn's going to win this game, but it's going to be a close game. This game's going to keep them on the edge of the sheet and make it nervous. And I'm going to tell you this, too. I mean, people don't think of this. Is the SEC West already wrapped up at this point? Which I think if it is, I think Auburn comes out and, and plays even looser, and this game could get, not I won't say ugly, but it, it could surprise some people. But if it's a game like it was two years ago where the winner goes to the SEC championship, you can see a lot of tightness and and it's a lot different when you're playing. And uh, Jonathan, do you see what I'm talking about? If Auburn's, if Alabama's lost two games and Auburn's undefeated, they've already wrapped up the West. Couldn't you see Malzahn coming out just trying to put up a show, just trying to say, even if Auburn lost that game and they won the SEC championship, they're in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. So I'm looking for mm-hmm. if that's the case, Malzahn's going to open it up. I agree. You know, if they're both eleven and zero going in, you're playing not to lose. And yep. that leads to some, you know, where we as the fans tend to question coaching decisions because they tend to be well, a lot you, more concerned. You saw it in Florida State. You saw it in Florida State-Auburn. Once Auburn got up, they played not to lose, didn't they, John? They really did. And I hate saying that, but they did. Uh, it wasn't more of us coming out and just dominating that second half and taking control and doing our work. It was Auburn got a little timid. And we took advantage of that timidness. 
and and that's that's how it happens in big games like that. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, okay, we can't afford to screw anything up. Don't don't throw that ball deep. Throw the check down. Uh, when you when you're running, don't fight for their shorts. Go down. Don't fumble the ball. Da, da, da. And that's what happens. You're wound up. You get nervous, and that can leave you losing the game more often than not. So if this game's wrapped up, Auburn's going to throw some play fletchers and double passes and have a ball. I'm going to ask you this, Jonathan, if, and you tell me if, and this is if, if Auburn is 12-0 and after the Iron Bowl, where does the committee have Auburn in the rankings if Ohio State's undefeated? Auburn's won. Yep, I agree. Uh, you know, if Ohio State is undefeated and Auburn's undefeated at the end of the year, Ohio State's won. One reason behind that, and it's not. It might not be the most logical reason. It might be. It depends on who you're talking to. But Ohio State won the championship last year. They've been number one all year. They haven't lost the right to that spot. And that, this was my gripe last year as a Florida State fan. That was my biggest gripe because we lost our top spot. We fell being number one and didn't lose and dropped in the polls. That bothers me. I think if you're number one, you're defending national champ. And you start the year number one again. I think it's still you lose, you don't drop. Yeah. Is that does that I make any sense? Of course not. No. But that's no. how I feel. But I, I see it like if you look at Ohio State, if they're undefeated, they beat Michigan State. And it depends on how they win. They beat Michigan State, and that's about it. If you look at Auburn, they've beaten, you know, a lot of ranked teams and some real good teams. And if you look at it, I mean, the pollsters are going to push them up because nobody has respect for the Big Ten at all. Nobody. Hell, Urban Meyer doesn't even have respect for that conference. I mean, but I'm with Jonathan in a way, too. If you're the defending national champions and you're undefeated, until you lose, you're still – I can see that. But here's the deal. It's a new year. It's a new season. And what have you done on the field to prove who's the best? Auburn – would have beaten five or six ranked teams where Ohio State would have beaten one or something. So I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. the dream scenario for me as an Auburn fan would be able to play Ohio State in that championship. That would be a great game. And, and, and you know, Jonathan, next week you and I and Quinn, if you want to, we're going to predict our final four. It's going to be exciting. Jonathan, if Tennessee and Auburn are in the SEC championship, who wins? Auburn all day, any day, twice on Sunday. It'll be ugly. It'll be an ugly show. But what if Georgia, what if Auburn and Georgia, if Auburn wins it, play in Georgia again in a rematch? How does that change? That's tough because if Auburn comes out and smokes them, then they'll smoke them again. But let's say Auburn wins by, you know, one score. Georgia would come up and yep. sneak up and take that game. We've seen it before. LSU, Alabama, Florida State, Florida. We've seen how these rematches play out, and they usually don't play out well for the team that won the first time. Well, well, I have a question for you, Jonathan. Auburn's undefeated. They lose a three-point game to Georgia, a team they beat. Say Georgia's a two-loss team. Does Auburn go to the, the playoff, or does Georgia? <laughs> ah, that's tough. You just handed me a catch twenty-two. That's not fair. Uh, Georgia, by being a two-loss team, I think you still give Auburn the edge because technically they would have split that season. That's fine. Give Auburn that that entrance. But Auburn better play. There's not more teams that are more qualified than them that won their conference. They better yeah. play. But, 
So I think Georgia may go. I don't know because, you know, Auburn would have beaten Georgia. And it depends on how they beat them. If Auburn beat Georgia by 30 in Auburn and they slipped up and lost the neutral game, Auburn goes. But if Auburn beats Georgia by three in, in Auburn and ends up losing a, an SEC championship game, Georgia is the SEC champion, the true one. I mean, I know Auburn only had one loss, but they beat them when it counted. It's just interesting. It's going to be a lot of great discussion. But I'm telling you guys, this Auburn team out there, and, and you know, I'm an Auburn fan. That's why I don't talk much about them or talk about it as much. But they have a chance. If I tell you Auburn has a chance to be really good this year, you better listen to me because, I'm, I mean, I don't predict national championships or anything. I'm not ready to do that right now. But I'm just – I'm ready to tell you that they have a good shot with their schedule and with as good as this offense can be in defense, to be very special. And, Jonathan, we are out of time. And, Quinn, I've got to run. I've got to talk to my realtor. And uh, we're going to do a show Wednesday night. We're too close to football season not to do one. And we'll probably start it at 8 or 8.30. I'll let everyone know. Thanks for joining me, guys. Have a great week. Yep. We'll see you Wednesday. Yep. All right, y'all too. Thank you.